Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Sawtooth Frank. Welcome once again to oh, the Soft thank Serve you. podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't have to have you. You're a co-host. Oh, okay. You're here. But All I'm right. still going to welcome you. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation. I am too. Um, it's like almost um, like a sequel to a previous conversation we had. We're talking to Therese Schechter, who is um, the a, an award-winning filmmaker, writer, and founder of the feminist production company Trixie Films. All right. Therese is here to talk to us about a film, a documentary we talked about previously yes. on this podcast called My So-Called Selfish Life. I love that title. Yeah. We talked to somebody who appeared in that film, right. our friend and uh, periodic guest on the podcast, uh, Chanel Dubofsky. Yes. Right. All about... Um, this um, this film she appeared in, which is about um, women who are child-free by choice. Right. I'm excited because we have the person who made this movie here. I'm excited. So we get to ask a lot of questions and Excellent. hear more about this. Cool. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Yes, I was born ready. Really? That was a joke. Oh, it was okay. a terrible joke. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen. You have been shutting down my singing lately Uh as though you do not enjoy it. Huh. I wonder why that might be. Huh. Huh. We'll have to unpack that at a different time. Alrighty. Let's say hello to Therese Schechter. Hello, Therese. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here um, to talk with us about your film, um, My So-Called Selfish Life. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. I was a bit under the weather earlier this week, but uh, I'm feeling good now, so... Well, I hope, I'm hoping it wasn't um, the coronavirus. <laughs> no. Okay. I know people. Are... As far, I mean, as far as I know, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. people around us are like they get like a little bit of sniffles now or some sore throat, and everybody's really anxious. The first about that. question you have is, do you have the do you Rona? Have the Rona. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to get my booster next week. Oh, um, stomping Jen, so you don't Excellent. need to worry about me. Um, oh, for sure. Um, so. Therese, I tried to give the um, Cliff Notes version, uh, sort of, of um, who you are and what you do. So I just want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more if you wanted to. 
Well, uh, I'm a director, producer, writer, I guess. I'm a very independent documentary filmmaker. Um, this is my third feature-length documentary. I've done a bunch of shorts also. Uh, I like to describe my work as challenging what we consider most sacred about womanhood. Hmm. That's kind of my mission. So motherhood fits into that yeah. <laughs> quite well, <laughs> into that mission statement. Um, and uh, I am child-free. Uh, it's something I've been thinking about my whole life, honestly, mm -hmm. but didn't quite have the language to express it out loud until not that long ago, actually. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, uh, I like doing these documentaries because I like talking about how women are being lied to almost constantly about what our lives are supposed to be like. Yeah. So uh, I get a lot of, uh, a lot of joy from telling people they're being lied to. Oh goodness! Yeah, and um, before we before we dive into your film, my so-called selfish life, and the topic of of women being child free by choice, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into filmmaking. Yeah, sure. This is my second career. Uh, I went to art school. I was a graphic designer for quite a long time. I worked. Uh, at the Chicago Tribune for 10 years. Um, and uh, while I was there, I was having like a not quite midlife crisis. And uh, I decided I didn't want to do that job for the rest of my life. And I went to film school part-time mm -hmm. while I was working full-time. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do with that, but I just really wanted to go to film school. Um, and while I was there, I learned learned about editing and producing and making films. Um, it was all on 16 millimeter film wow. and we were editing like by hand with this like motorized thing. So that was way behind what actual professionals were doing by the way, oh, <laughs> but that's what we learned on. Um, and uh, I had a very nebulous idea of what I wanted to do, but on a whim almost, I applied for a resident for um, like an internship, I guess. Um, at Tribeca Films in New York, uh, which is Robert De Niro's production company. And um, they took me. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I, I got a leave of absence from work. I was in a managerial position, by the way. So I got, <laughs> I got a four-month leave of absence to move to New York to, to become an intern. Um, <laughs> and That's awesome. I was thrilled because, you know, when you're a manager, I had like 17 people in my department or something. Yeah. It was such a relief not to be anyone's boss for a while and mm -hmm. just do like really menial things all day. Um, while I was there, I got hired to be a production assistant on one of their films. Um, by the time the four months were over, or probably actually after about two months, I realized I don't actually want to go back to Chicago and I don't actually want to go back to that job. And I, I resigned over the phone. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, which, I mean, I loved that job. Let me just say, I loved it. And even yeah. though I loved it, I still didn't want to go back to yeah. it. I wanted to stay in New York and see where this led. Was that, so a? I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, was that a scary thing to do? You know, 
in retrospect, yeah, probably. <laughs> but but at the time, I felt kind of brave, mm-hmm. and I thought I'm probably not going to feel this brave again. So I need to take advantage of this moment because I'm gonna. If I wait even ten minutes longer, I'm gonna change mm-hmm. my mind. Um, yeah. So it was scary and it was it was difficult. I actually Tribeca offered me a job, and I worked there for a year as the assistant to. Um, Robert De Niro's producing partner, actually. Um, at this point, 20 years out, I can say it was a horrible job. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> if you've ever seen Swimming with Sharks starring, um, oh, what's his name? Kevin Spacey. Uh, it's about an assistant working for a film producer. Oh. I, I couldn't watch that film because it was so triggering to me. Um, but anyway, I did it for a year. Yeah. And then um, I was still doing, I I could still do graphic design work because, um, yeah, I was like a a year out of graphic design work. And uh, I left that job on, I was sort of fired in the friendliest way. (laughs) She she fired her assistants, basically. Um, But in the meantime, uh, someone who worked there said, oh, you should really go volunteer at the Sundance Film Festival. And I said, oh, I didn't know anyone could do that. And she said, yeah, you should go. You'll like it. And I did. And um, I never thought of documentary filmmaking as a thing that I would ever be interested in, to be honest, because I had a pretty narrow vision of what documentary filmmaking was. Very serious, very sad, very, you know, cliche kind of stuff, really. And I went to Sundance and I saw the most incredible documentaries I had ever seen in every possible style. Uh, and yeah, I, it kind of blew open my possibilities and I came back, I was working, uh, doing freelance design and also taking, um, a a course, a documentary workshop, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, while I was there, we had to, um, create a proposal for a documentary. Nothing that anyone would expect us to make. It was just to go through the process of creating a proper proposal. And so while I was working on that, my um, professor, uh, who I was also interning for actually, said, you're going to make this film, right? And I said, no, (laughs) I'm going to make this film. (laughs) I don't know how to make documentaries. I'm just doing this assignment. And he said, no, you should really make this film. And uh, he convinced me I should at least borrow his camera and, and do some interviews. And this was a, my this became my first documentary. Uh, I was a teenage feminist. And, and that um, and that that is um, the first in what I've learned is sort of a trilogy of of um, documentary films. Um, the the second one is called How to Lose Your Virginity and Stomping Jen. This third one <laughs> is um, My So Called Selfish Life. Um, was now, it intended? Well, it sounds like you weren't even sure about the first one. So did you know you were going to make a trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really. And if I end up making another one, I have to sort of rethink the whole plan. Yes. Yeah. Well, it'll be like one of those Douglas Adams trilogies. Yeah, let's say a quadrilogy. What's a quadrilogy? Yeah. That's four movies. A quintilogy. That's five. Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> Therese... I, that film, um, check me on my dates. Um, I was a teenage feminist. Came out in two thousand five. You started your production 
company, um, Trixie Films, in 2001. Did you start that production company as a way to get the film made? Yeah, I decided. Um, and, and by the way, I, because I was interning for Mackie Alston, who's the documentary filmmaker, like I learned a lot just interning about like business and how you set up things and all the things you have to do while you're making a documentary that have nothing to do with being creative. Or right. Shooting yeah. All the anything. business side. All the business stuff. And it seemed like I should just find a production, make a production company. So, yeah. So I did that while I was in my first year of working on the film, maybe uh, got a website. Also it's good for tax purposes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pro tip everyone. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Uh, and I like the logo. I wanted to, that that image, the Trixie Films logo, I had used it in animation in film school, and I really liked her, and mm. so I made her my my logo. Did you design her? I'm assuming you probably I did. Didn't, no, I, I didn't. Well, I didn't design her. She came from a book of old advertising art. Oh, okay. And every once in a while, I see her somewhere because someone else has taken the same old advertising art image and made it like the logo for their restaurant or something, and mm-hmm. it's always kind of exciting to see her, um, somewhere else. So I didn't design her, but I like designed her milieu, I guess. Got it. And what, um, what was, I was a teenage feminist about? Um, I was a teenage feminist grew out of, uh, me approaching 40 (laughs) and feeling like, uh, you know, I was single. I didn't have kids. I did not look like a supermodel. And having this weird thing where I just felt like I had just failed at womanhood. I just didn't, hadn't figured it out or gotten anything right. Um, and uh, I, was, I was sort of thinking about that and thinking about how when I was a teenager, when I was like 13, um, I saw Free to Be You and Me, which I don't know if you're familiar with Free to Be You and Me but it's a classic work of um, feminist uh, music and animation and things like that. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Okay. Uh, Cause I know I can swear here. I'm going to say it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Let me give you one of these. <laughs> we reward profanity here. Oh, we do. Uh, thanks. Okay. Yes. Um, That's great. Yeah. It's a, it was an amazing show and it, and it, it was truly feminist. It came out in the seventies and um I remember that it really kind of changed my view of the world when I was a teenager, actually, that it was okay not to get married and all of these things. So I remember I was looking back and I said, what happened to the feminism that was blazing within me in my teenage years? Like, where had it gone and could I find it again? That was kind of the beginning of that film. Do you do you now, um, with some hindsight, know the answer to that question? What happened to the feminism that was blazing in you as a mm-hmm. teenager? Did you answer that question? Um, I didn't. I didn't really answer that question, but I definitely reconnected with those ideas. Um, I think what happened is one thing that happened to a lot of people, which is the eighties <laughs> and the the, <laughs> the hyper conservatism and the incredibly concerted effort to stamp out any gains that women had made in the sixties and seventies. So in terms of the, just the environment of the world and especially North America, um, that happened and feminism became a dirty word. And I mean, it was just a very concerted effort to make that happen. And, but also I, I live in this world and I get all the pop culture messages everybody else does. And, uh, 
And I got all those the messages that are like, you must get married and have children and you must look a certain way and act a certain way. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're all in the same like soup. Um, so uh, I think it was a combination of those two things, which may ultimately just be the same thing. But yeah. I think that's kind of what happened. And I think by the time I was turning 40, I realized that actually turning 40 was awesome. And, um, you know, that thing about like not giving any fucks, um, um, when you, (laughs) I think when you turn 40 is like when that gets activated, right? So you give less and less fucks as you go through. And, um, it started there. I was like, you know what? I don't really care (laughs) about about this stuff so much and making the film helped. Um, I don't, I don't like to imply that making a documentary is like my form of therapy or anything. Uh, but it is a very creative prod to, um, explore things that are not just happening to me, but happening to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and looking at why that's, why that's happening sort of through my lens to some extent but also through the lens of other people that are grappling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we want people to go watch that film. Um, I was a teenage feminist. And then your second documentary kind of in this, what we're thinking of as a trilogy was mm-hmm. how to lose your virginity. And that was in 2013. Can you tell us a little bit about that film? Yeah. Um, so that film was inspired by the abstinence until marriage programs of the 2000s. Um, uh, which are still going on, but that George Bush becoming president gave it a real big boost, lots of money. And those were these programs that basically did not teach sex education, but rather taught abstinence, which is like, don't have sex. If you have sex, you're going to go to hell, especially you girls, because you're asking for it. And um, we're not going to tell you anything about contraception because you don't need it because you're not going to have sex. Um, So this (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I, that was one of those things where like, why are we lying to teenagers yeah. <laughs> about this? Um, and actually I was working with a, my producing partner, Lisa Esselstein, and we started to do a film about sex education, but we started doing these interviews and every time the subject of virginity came up, it was so fascinating. And it was what we just seem most interested in, in every single interview. And so the film really became a look at the like the mythology and the misogyny around this concept of virginity for women, young women, and and sort of how we judge women based on their sexual histories. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I I, I can in my mind um, that film probably served as a lightning rod for a lot of people. Um, what was what was the reaction like to it? Um. It, I, the reaction, I mean, I'm going to say overall, it was really good. I did a lot of college screenings mm-hmm. uh, with that film, which is like my favorite thing to do, actually. And people would come up to me with their abstinence pledge cards, their purity pledge cards that they had been carrying around with them since they were 12. Yeah. And uh, uh, they showed them to me. And um, I remember one, one, one young college student said, um, you make me feel like I'm not dirty anymore, which is powerful. Yeah. So I think that it, 
I mean, it was, it was very well received in some quarters. And on the other hand, I couldn't show it to any high school students. I couldn't get into a high school to show it. So, you know, a lot of the things that I was sort of concerned about kind of played out in how I was able to distribute the film. On the other hand, Utah libraries have the film in their collection. So I see that as a small. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, and that, that brings us to the, the, third documentary kind of in the series. And I know you've had a lot of other um, projects kind of circulating around these, these films. Um, and um, my so-called selfish life uh, stomping Jen is about the, the child free choice. So um, Therese, I just wanted um, you to tell us just a little bit about what that means. What, what is the child free choice? Well, um, I'm glad you asked that because um, the term child free is not always clear to people and what the distinction is between being childless and child-free. It's also not a term that everyone embraces. Some people just don't like labels. Other people don't like the way it sounds, even if they sort of fit that definition. But child-free means that you have chosen not to have children. Like it is your desire to not have children. It's it's pretty simple, like that's it. and, and childless refers to someone whose desire it is to have children, but for many different reasons, they are not able to. Mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're very, very they're different, different yeah. groups. Although I will say that having spent, you know, five, six years on this topic at this point, it's really a spectrum. It's not a black and white thing. It's It's not so easy sometimes to just like, separate people on either side of the room. Um, There's a huge gray area of reasons that people do or don't have kids, um, how they feel about that, how things change over time because we're human. So our feelings can change. So it's, it's more of a spectrum. Yeah. What are, um, I mean, what are for people who might be listening to this, who don't know, like what are, what are some of the reasons somebody may decide they don't want to have kids. I mean, by somebody, I mean a woman. Like, what are what are some of those reasons? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking stomping Jen might you know might say something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you ever did you ever contemplate it? No. Okay. I mean, in the aspect of as Therese pointed out, like society and culture and yeah. like pressure and um so it never really even seemed like an not an option Mm -hmm. like but yeah like it was an expectation i'm curious because i don't think i asked you this before or i don't know if i've ever asked you this question like even when you were a younger person like a teenager or like did you ever consider that not having children yeah like i don't know yeah i I never really thought about i mean i just it was an assumption that you would grow up, get married, mm-hmm. have a house, and get, have kids. Yeah, I don't know. Totally. Like it wasn't even like a thing that you like sit down and like think about. Right. Right. And then you know, like when we met, like at some point, we were child free for quite a long time in our relationship. We waited a long time. Yeah, and and I I will say um, the the pressure we received was was like a a glacier grinding over the the substrate. <laughs> Um, it, it was intense and heavy. 
you think? I absolutely. Did you feel pressure? I mean, I had several conversations. Um, we had several conversations with your parents That's about true. it, you That's know, true. and pressuring us to to have right. to have those kids. Um, and then it wasn't until our our good friend uh, yelled at me that another friend of ours <laughs> had a child, and yeah. she demanded that I. So I mean, I know we're I know we're laughing about that. I mean, it was funny at the time. Yeah, like I listened to her. (laughs) But I'm hearing, like, I'm hearing too. Like, you never questioned it, and and Teresa, I I, never did. I'm sure your film kind of grapples with this um, pressure that um, many many women feel um, from you know society writ large or even you know from people within their own like family units like you have to have kids um yeah uh actually several people in the film me included um talk briefly about how we assumed we would have kids anyway even though we didn't want them we we're pretty clear on all of that we still assumed that we would have them because that's what people did mm. they had children and um I really, in in some ways, lived my life knowing that at some point I would have to do it. Hmm. And I was trying to get as much life as I could in before I had to, like, do that. And give up all my hopes and dreams and ambitions and whatever in service to a child and society. Right. Because that's sort of what it's like. You trade in your own self. To have another creature that you that is dependent on you, yeah, it's interesting. I think we we live we live with um, two young people here in our in our home, <laughs> our children who will, you know, someday you know be of an age where they might go off and find partners and be considering this. And I think both of them have said to us at various points, you know, I'm not going to have children, and our answer is always that's totally fine. Like that's your choice, right? And 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 it part of it is through um, you know uh, awareness through friendships with somebody like you know our friend Chanel um, Dubofsky, who is a a feminist and somebody who writes about this topic. And mm-hmm. you know, I I really have tried to take those lessons, and you know, I don't know if it's saying break the cycle is the right thing, but like let them know they have agency, like, right. and it's not our expectation. Right. That you know that they have that they have to have kids. But I need grandbabies. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. You know, there's a lot. There's no pressure like family pressure, right? You know, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Chanel is one of the people in the film that kind of talks about like, oh, I just assumed I had to have them, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and yeah, I was the same way, and that was part of that whole like almost midlife crisis of mine. Like I knew I didn't want kids, but I was sort of unhappy that I didn't have kids right. <laughs> because I felt not like, out, like outside of society or something. Um, and then when I got over that, I thought, Oh no, you didn't want kids. You are exactly where you wanted to be. They're mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. actually, but it, mm-hmm. it took a little, a little while. And it was but, was yeah. was grappling with that kind of in in your um, personal life. What led you to want to make a film about this? Um, 
Not at the time. Yeah. I mean, it did get me interested in that this larger thing that I'm interested in, which is the things that we hold sacred about womanhood and how women have to do certain things to fulfill their womanly roles. Um, so it was kind of of a piece of this thing that I'm very interested in. Um, but no, I didn't. Um, I didn't think about doing anything about it, partly because I never talked about it and I didn't. Like I said, I didn't quite have the language to talk about it. Mm. Um, it wasn't until um, my friend Ann Kingston, and she's in the film, she wrote an article about it, uh, I think in 2009, about just the child-free movement let, or, you know, just, hey, some people don't want kids and they're not having them. And she got so much hate mail oh, for God. it. Yeah. She also got people very grateful that she was acknowledging this thing, but she got a lot of hate mail. Mm. And um and she said to me at the time, you know, you really need to make a movie about this. Um, people seem to say this to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, I'm very busy right now. I cannot. But, um, but that stuck with me. And then when I did start making the film, she was the first person I interviewed. Um, um, yeah. I'm interested. Why, why, what, what kind of hate mail do you, like, how did what is that triggering for people that they would send an author of an article about that hate mail? Like, what are the types of things that do you know? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's in the film. It's oh, okay. like a segment right. of the film where oh, we sorry. talk about it. No, no, it's okay. I mean, you know, she she's got mail sort of generally like people who don't want children are are disgusting and selfish and you know things like that. Yeah. Um, but also, and I find this very hilarious, but somebody wrote, don't, don't go to Ang Kingston's house for Halloween. Why? She's like, I don't know, maybe they thought I would serve poison apples, yeah. et cetera. <laughs> so like, is there, was their stance that they, th they thought that she didn't, that she disliked children or hated children that would want to serve them poison apples yeah, I, don't, I mean yeah I guess, I guess so i mean she didn't even say in the article anything about her own life or her own choices that's so interesting um, uh and she still got like hit with this stuff so i mean she she wrote about a lot of very controversial topics so this was yeah. just kind of this All is right, how it okay. goes but yeah. um but it is kind of um it's fascinating um, she she actually passed away in 2020, and the film is dedicated to her because oh, I don't no. think it would have happened without yeah. her yeah. Uh, lovely, uh, gentle, constant nagging <laughs> to, to make the film. Yeah. So I owe a lot of that to her. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is you know, there's this thing about like, um, ladies, you have one job, you have one job to do, and you have to do it. Don't be selfish and shirk your responsibilities to create more whatever, more people who look like the people in power or create more workers um, or stay home and make babies because you really should not be out in the public sphere. It's really not a good place for the ladies. We would really prefer that you stayed home and yeah. stop talking. Yeah. Um, I think that there th that undercurrent is is always there like it's just always there um and uh i think that's why people get this the word selfish hurled at them because we're not 
giving over our uteruses for the service of someone else, in yeah. service of some idea or in service of capitalism or in service of um, nationalism. I mean, I, I really think that's what's behind it. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, when your parents say, your parents might genuinely want grandchildren because seeing my parents with their grandchildren, I mean, like they're, they're pretty awesome, mm-hmm. really. Um, but at the same time, there is some idea that it, it is your duty and your job. And um, I don't think people even realize that it's a systemic problem and it bubbles up out of our society and kind of gets into everyone's brains. And you just you just assume that's how it is. That's how life is. So if you're not doing that, there's got to be something wrong with you. Yeah, I think um, like Therese just told us, I, I was scribbling down um, kind of what what I, what I was hearing and they're the economic reasons, mm. right? Political, Therese talked about that, you know, where we concentrate power in society, right? You know, um, Stomping Jen, you hold a, a, a high gov- high level government office, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are probably people who are very unhappy about that, <laughs> you know, um, that religious, obviously, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's easy. Um, it's easy for men to reinforce this narrative, right? Because um, men haven't been the ones traditionally burdened with, you know, the um, consequences of um, having a child. Having a child, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think men get a lot of pressure too to have children. Yeah, I know my husband's talked about it. Um, but, you know, as a whole, I think men, you know, womanhood is synonymous with motherhood still. Mm-hmm. I don't think that manhood is synonymous with fatherhood in quite the same way. And I don't think that men are judged. Their value is not really judged by them procreating. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe getting women pregnant gets them points somehow. But um, it's, not, it's just a, a very different dynamic. Than, than for women. And also women are disproportionately, yes, burdened with um, carrying, birthing, mm-hmm. raising children and are expected to sacrifice to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just, I want to say, like, in case anybody thinks that I'm like judging people who have kids, um, my sister, who always knew she wanted kids, um, has to beautiful, beautiful boys who are all grown up adults now, but um, it's really what she wanted. And she went into it with her eyes open and she's a fantastic parent as is her husband. And uh, so I think those are the people who absolutely should have kids. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. people who are like, yes, I I very much want kids and I understand what's involved and uh, it's going to make me happy. I know it will. And so yeah, and what are um, for for a woman who chooses not to have kids? Um, like, what are what are some of the consequences that society puts upon um, these folks? Um, I'm going to say that in some ways, people who choose not to have children and people who just cannot have children for whatever reason, um, unless you have a heart to heart talk with them, you don't quite know why someone doesn't have children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one thing I was just reading about, um, 
this like advice column about somebody who who has been working a lot of extra hours through the pandemic. And it's something I've heard a lot because she doesn't have, quote unquote, a family. Um, She's been asked to work a lot of extra hours to cover for parents who have been dealing with some right. serious, serious uh, issues um, in terms of child care and work. And um, but it's not it's it's not fair <laughs> that you just assume that your employee without children uh, has nothing else to do in their lives but right. but work extra time uh, and most of the time it's not like they're being compensated for it right. and even if they're being compensated for it it doesn't feel like a choice they're making it feels like a foregone conclusion right. that they're going to do it um, so that's one thing I think women without children are, you know, routinely insulted. I think if you're part of a religious group where having children is important, uh, you are definitely not uh, a part of the community in the way that people with children would be part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, Chanel and I have discussed this around um, around uh, synagogues um, because there, you know, there's all this life stage stuff. Yeah. I think in church, any any religious sort of community, there are life stage things, and the and the uh, house of worship, let's say, creates uh, events and programs around all these life stages. Right. There is there is nothing for the life stage of somebody in their 40s that doesn't have children. It's like yeah. nothing for them, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know that's. That's not a good thing. But also, can you imagine being part of a community and your community saying, I'm sorry, we have absolutely nothing for you. We can't even imagine what we could do for you since you haven't followed the, you know, um, prescribed path. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think that's a that's a thing. Yeah. Um, are there examples? And I'm fascinated by uh, what thinking, you know, historically or even contemporarily like who is doing it right are there examples you know in the anthropological record of societies that like have treated women who make the choice not to have children better than we do now um are there you know societies or religions out there now that do this the right way are there are there things we can point to to say this is possible we don't have to behave this way <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's actually a really good question. I mean, I'm going to say that on the spectrum of progressive to conservative, the more progressive a society is, the more room I think there is to uh, deviate from the, you know, the life path we're we're supposed to take. Um, But, um, you know, there were, there were different times historically, even in recent history, where there were these trends of not having children. Sometimes it was because of the economy. You know, the birth rate really dropped in the U.S. in the 20s and 30s um, precipitously, um, in part because of the economy, in part because uh, birth control had become a little bit more accessible for women, and partly because of the eugenics movement, actually, and the forced sterilization of a lot of women of color, mostly, and disabled women, and you know, very shining time in our history. Um, And uh, so, so the birth rate dropped, but, but part of that was um, just people were like, we're not going to have 
kids, or we're only going to have one. Um, and all through history, there are times, there is a book, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but a woman wrote a, a history of this. And she cites a lot of times in history where the, the birth weight just kind of dropped. Um, I think quite often for economic reasons, but, but the people would sort of adjust their family size expectations as best they could with whatever contraception they had available. But um, in, in Germany, I believe in the twenties, there was like a big um, uh, like movement to not have children among some communities. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't know if I have a really like, I don't have a scholarly answer for you, but I do think that, that things have gone up and down because yeah. of, for various reasons and the more progressive the society is, chances are the more leeway there is to veer from the where, path. Where is the birth rate now? I feel like it's at a low point again. Am yeah. I right about that? Yeah. It's so the replacement rate is 2.1 children, uh, per couple. I guess that I like to say high. per uterus. <laughs> well, if it's a couple, so so if you have two kids yeah. for two parents, I guess you're kind of keeping things like static. Yes. If you have two point one, yeah. you're yeah, a little bit. Yeah, grow. that seems like enough. Um, my, my, I have a friend who calls it um, your carbon footprint you don't want you just replacing <laughs> yourself so if you have more than two years, you're increasing your carbon footprint but we're we're like down to more or less 1.7 okay. Oh, okay yeah um the interesting thing though i find i mean there are a lot there's a long conversation about the fertility rate and what it means but um i think that there is this sort of belief in this magical time when everyone was having four or five kids mm. like like all in the past everyone yeah. had four or five kids but in fact as i was saying in the 20s and 30s the birth rate plummeted um during the baby boom it did go up yeah. pretty high and then it plummeted again in the 60s and 70s partly because of the pill partly because of more women in the workforce having more control you know over their bodies but also about uh, over their economic futures and things like that um, in the past 40 years, it hasn't had any really violent up and down movements, hmm. um, which I don't think people don't talk about that. Like it's been relatively stable for 40 years. Um, it has been stable at a sort of a lower place, like uh -huh. 2.1 and lower, but there's no magical time where, you know, for decades on end, everyone was having five kids, at least not in the 20th century. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And you mentioned, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, you know, what I had already always heard is like in the past, right? Like people had a lot of children because number one, medical science wasn't very good. So people would die. And also that they were the economic reason, right? You know, like they had a farm and they needed labor. And so they yeah. would have children and that would be the workers on the farm would be your kids. Yeah, I mean, I think that was probably certainly true in the it, for much of the 19th century. Um, but uh, yeah. as, I think, as Therese just told us, right, in the 20th at, century, as we crossed yeah. crossed into the 20th century and the um, what was that industrial revolution? Thank you. The industrial revolution <laughs> took hold. Yeah. yeah, and then you know they outlawed child labor, 
And then yeah. they introduced child labor laws and all that. All right. Damn unions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's really interesting because this is a sort of a class thing also. Mm-hmm. And, um, and your access again to contraception and abortion and, um, and, you know, having more kids because your kids would get sick and die or because you needed the, the labor, you know, to keep things going. But like it, like in the mid 1900s, like Victorian era, mm-hmm. um, there was a sort of this rise of a middle class and um, middle class families who had money um, deliberately chose to have fewer children because they wanted to concentrate their assets on really focus it on a couple of kids yeah. and, uh, you know, sort of do the best for them. Um, so middle-class and upper-class um, white people um, tended to have fewer kids. And this was really distressing to politicians, for example, who were very upset about, um, do you know the term race suicide, Mm-mm. white race suicide? Um, it was coined by someone in the late 1900s, but it, and it, it is still going on today. It is this fear that white people will be replaced by non-white people. And that will be the end of civilization as we know it. Oh, Jesus. Um, and like Roosevelt, for example, was a uh, Teddy Roosevelt was very concerned about white race suicide. And this was when all the immigration was happening from uh, Europe, not from the Northern European clean countries, <laughs> as, they, as it has been described by a certain ex-president, um, oh, right. you know, from, from, <laughs> from Central and Southern Europe. And uh, yeah, Roosevelt and many others were really distressed about this because these white women were not having enough children. You know, these white women were having a couple kids because they, like I said, they wanted to really consolidate their um, whatever money they had into raising these children and giving them educations and whatnot. Um, And they didn't want more children. Mm. And this was a real, this was a real issue. And it is still a real issue. I think you can draw a straight line from that till today and all the hand wringing around the fertility rate. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in in this country and many others, um, people are, people have very nationalistic reasons. Yeah. And that, uh, and and it's easy to see that as a motivator for the uh, recent, energy around restricting um, access to abortion and um, defunding uh, contraception in health insurance companies, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's actually kind of complicated because um, many people who who seek abortions are women of color or Mm -hmm. lower income women. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a sort of a complicated equation to, to, figure out. Um, uh, but I do think some of that is just, um, not, not ceding control (laughs) of women's bodies, you know, just wanting to keep that under control in whatever way. And, and, um, again, that's just a constant. And contraception, um, like the pill and other forms of contraception were a real threat to that control. Right. And they still, they, I mean, is certainly like in the seventies, and you know, when was it in the sixties and seventies that the pill became available, or was it before then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was being tested. Yeah. Um, 
on Puerto Rican women um, in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. And then it was released in different states because different states had different laws throughout the 60s. And it was also released only to married women for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think by 1972, it was available to all women. Mm-hmm. Even if you were single, you could get it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, and voluntary <laughs> surgical sterilization has kind of a a, a role in this conversation, I know. And, and can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so more and more, more and more, um, people and, you know, I'm using the term woman. I, I just, I like to give this disclaimer. Um, I use woman in a sociological sense, mm-hmm. you know, woman as the womanhood equals motherhood, but I also try to talk about people with uteruses mm-hmm. because, you know, not all women have uteruses and not all people with uteruses are women. So um, I would say that um, people who have the potential to get pregnant okay. um, do, do sometimes uh, try to try to get a, some kind of sterilization procedure. You know, not everyone tolerates birth control pills very well. Other methods are sometimes complicated, sometimes not right for someone's body. Um, and so voluntary sterilization has been uh, more and more um, interesting to people and younger younger and younger people as well. Um, that might be, uh, you know, what we call getting your tubes tied, but actually mm-hmm. there, there are different things you do, but you block the fallopian tubes mm-hmm. basically. Um, or um, getting your fallopian tubes removed or uh, getting a hysterectomy, which is when the uterus is removed. Um, all of these things. There's a permanent birth control. It's not really reversible. Even though people claim that that it is, it's not really. It's permanent contraception, say. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, getting a vasectomy is much easier, much faster, uh, less expensive, everything, and a vanishingly small percentage of men get vasectomies, and um, guys need to step up a little bit. It, it's it's safer, too, and we've talked about this. Yeah. Um, I threw my hat into that ring. I'm, I got a vasectomy, stomping Jen, <laughs> in case you weren't aware. Thanks. Um, yeah, and part of it, um, Therese, part of it was... Um, and I know I am. Oh, a, I can say you said to me. Say something good about me, please. Go oh ahead. God, no. You you recognize that I had been on birth control for a good portion of my life, and you said it's my. I can do this, and I don't want you to have to worry about it. And yeah. so it's my turn to to um, share yeah. the burden here. You know, we um we enjoy intimacy, right? <laughs> um, you know, and I said, listen. It's time I pay pay the pay the fiddler. It's time, so I did it. It's um, true. Yes, it happened, and it, it was quick. Um, and it, Teresa, I'm sure you've seen these operations. This was a like an airplane hangar, and they were at, in and out, in and out, turning people around in half an hour. Yep. Um, you know this. You know bag so, of, bag of ice. Yeah. Um, Day recovery. Yeah, and I and and. I have to say, um, 
well, an interesting part of that experience was they wouldn't let me get one without your signature. Right. So, and, and I'm sure if you had gone to get a, a voluntary sterilization procedure, uh, they would have made me sign something too. Like this idea that because you're married, like you can't make your own choice mm. about that. Yeah. And I think it, it goes, and I'm trying to throw this idea out there independent of of um, gender. Maybe I shouldn't, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Like this idea that I wasn't allowed to make that choice or Stomping Jen here wouldn't have been allowed to make that choice on her own? Oh, I have so many thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so many thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me first say that to get a medical procedure, you have to be of an, the age of consent. Yeah. So you have to be old enough to consent to any medical procedure. Mm-hmm. And that is the end. That's the end of the story. Yeah. Generally speaking, the extra hoops you have to jump through are not uh, legal. They are um, hoops that your medical professionals would like you to jump through. Um, part of that is because they think you will regret your procedure. They think that you are doing something against the will of your partner, thus preventing you from having more babies. Um, or you just don't know and you'll change your mind and you'll regret it. Mm. And this is, this is the kind of thing that young women hear a lot, not, not just young women, women in their twenties and thirties. Um, if you don't already have children, doctors will tell patients that they have to have X number of children or be X years old um, in order to have one of these procedures. So that's not the law. That is uh, the preference of the medical professional who Mm. is going to perform this procedure. And a lot of doctors really feel like they don't want to do something that you will regret later. I would like to think that we know our own minds and what we need, but this is a a real reality. Like it's actually very hard for women to get um, their tubes tied, for example, if they don't already have kids. Hmm. Um, and, and these rules are presented like the law and they're, they're not, <laughs> they're really not the law. They just have to consent. Um, and, and I know that for vasectomies, you do, uh, if you have a, um, partner of the opposite genitals, I guess I will say, um, they, they do want the partner to consent. Yeah. Um, so that, that works both ways. Although it is easier for, for men to get vasectomies, much easier than for women to get, um, hmm. Uh, any kind of voluntary sterilization. And there is a woman in our film who is actually 19 uh, seeking uh, a sterilization procedure. And uh, so we sort of follow her a little Mm. bit to see what happens with that. 19 is is young, but, you know, you spend a few minutes with this person in the film and you can see that she knows what she's doing and she knows Mm -hmm. what she wants. So... Yeah, and this to me says it's really important if you are in a relationship with somebody and to talk about this, right? Um, you know, maybe, you know, before you make a, you know, begin to start thinking about a long-term commitment, um, at least begin having these conversations, you know, and if society wasn't such a jerk, <laughs> people could be more open about it, right? Mm, yeah, it, it is actually incredibly important to make sure you're on the same page about this because it's a profound choice. It's a, it's a choice that, that completely alters your life in ways you can't really undo. And, um, to, 
you, you really should not force someone to have a child. You just cannot force someone to have a child. It's very simple. You cannot yeah. force someone to have a child. When people talk about the fertility rate, you cannot force someone to have a child yeah. so that someone will get social security. You cannot do that. Right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not, it's not right. So, um, yeah, I think this conversation is really important and I think it should be had early, um, mm-hmm. very early. And I also think that if someone has a conversation um, with someone they're feeling sort of serious about and that person says, actually, I don't want children. And you think, oh, they'll change their mind. Mm. That's a big mistake because they're not going to change their mind. Um, And uh, sometimes they will, because of society's unbelievable and unrelenting pressure, will say, okay, fine, we'll have a child. Not because they want to, but because, you know, Mm -hmm. their partner does. Sometimes this works out fine. Sometimes it works out horribly. Um, So... Yeah, we've just been talking about this on our Facebook page, this Facebook page, and our, and our Instagram also, actually. Um, I posted something from an advice column about this very issue. Yeah, and I just want to tell... Yeah, I just want to tell people, we're going to we're gonna have the links to all of Teresa's um, social, uh, media. social media and web presences uh, related to this project linked in our podcast show notes. So um, if you're listening to this and you want to go see those things... Uh, jump into the show notes, hit the links, and you can go look at those and then come back to this conversation. But um, yeah, so talk, right? People talk about this. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's not always an easy conversation to have. Yeah. In fact, it can be a very difficult conversation, and especially if you're in a relationship where you really care for each other very much, except for that one thing. Yeah. I think it's a very difficult thing to talk about, but ultimately... If, if your partner doesn't want a child and you do, it's not going to end well. Yeah. yeah. It just isn't. It's too big of a thing. Yeah. And what kind of life, what kind of resources are available to people who are um, either women who find themselves, you know, realizing, you know, I may not want to have a child or like we were just talking about couples who need to like potentially have these conversations are there resources available to people to to explore this in, in a little more depth i i mean i think there are boundless resources at this point you just have to find the kind of resources that fit your own temperament let's say mm-hmm. um i think not everyone likes to label child free but it sure is good to search with so if you do hashtag child free on any social media, you will bring up uh, countless, countless uh, pages, accounts, conversations. Uh, there's a whole thing on Reddit. Um, there's a lot. There's, there is on our website, we have a resource page. So we list a lot of different kinds of resources. Um, but um, you have to find the, the, the vibe <laughs> that fits you because it, it can range um, from sort of very helpful growing up conversations about it to, you know, fairly toxic uh, environments, but that, that's kind of the internet. I think I could talk about any subject sure, yeah, that you would sure. find uh, <laughs> that range. Um, but yeah, hashtag child free, um, you know, roam around and see, you know, you, as I said, we have a, my so-called selfish life Facebook page. Um, we try to keep things friendly and informative 
Um, and there are a lot of other accounts like ours Mm -hmm. too. So there is a lot, people stumble onto it and they're like, Oh, I didn't even know people are talking about this, or I didn't even know this was a thing. And I, like every couple of weeks, someone will say that to me, like, Oh, I had no idea this was here. I had no idea it was an option. Um, so we just want people to have options. Honestly, I feel like such a scold, you know, but it's not, (laughs) it's just, I I think people should have options in their lives, especially Mm. for some of the most profound decisions they're going to make. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the film, uh, my so-called selfish life, which, um, grapples with this topic we've been discussing. Can you just tell us a little bit about how would you describe the film to somebody who is listening to all of this and is interested in the film? What are they going to get when they sit down to watch my so-called selfish life? So like my other films, I, I want to say that this is a very thought provoking film. It is also a very entertaining film. I really believe in using comedy <laughs> to talk about things that are difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee you will find this film very entertaining. Um, the film is um, on the basic level. It's just exploring and validating the choice to be child-free uh, as one of the many options we should have in our lives. And there are like really fantastic people in the film talking about their own experiences, including Chanel, who we've been mentioning, who's fantastic in the film. On another level, though, it it dissects the, the social forces at play to make this choice so stigmatized and to make motherhood feel like the one inevitable path for your life that, you know, one job you have to do. So it's kind of working on two levels. Mm -hmm. Um, We look at a lot of pop culture. There's a lot of pop culture in this film and the subtle ways that we get that kind of messaging, um, history, um, politics. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so it's a lot of different um, ways of telling that story. And um, we, we just had our premiere about a month ago, actually. And, um, you know, people were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know I needed this film, but I do. (laughs) I'm going to give you one of these for the premiere. So how can, how can people see the film? How do we, how do we see it? If we're, if we want to, if we wanted to go watch it tonight, could we, is there a way to see it? Um, well, let me answer that this way. Uh, it just premiered at a film festival about a month ago, so it's still in its festival oh, okay. phase. <laughs> so it's going to be in its festival phase for uh, uh, several months, okay. uh, if not longer. So it's not publicly released yet. However, if you happen to be in an area where it's playing in a film festival and they are streaming at that festival, which has become very common pandemic times, uh, you can see it. Yeah, um, and, and people are going to be listening to this probably. Um, so if you're hearing this now, it prob- well, you could be listening to this five years from now. So <laughs> um, I guess um, what I'm trying to say is um, yes, go to the website, right? Go to, yes. um, go to the website to figure out there's a, how there, to see this film. So there there are two websites I'm going to direct people to. There's my myselfishlife.com. That's and, the one. Yep. And then there's also trixiefilms.com. You could probably yeah. find your way to, um, if you're listening to this and it's still in festival release, go to those websites and you can find a, probably find your way to a place you could see the film. Great. Yeah. If you if you go to myselfishlife.com on the homepage, um, yep. you can get to our upcoming screenings and events. Um, and uh, the best thing to do, though, which I tell everyone, is we have the... 
uh, first to know list, as we Uh. call it, which will guarantee you will be literally the first to know of opportunities to see the film. It's basically a mailing list, but, you know, it's a very useful one. And you can sign up for that on our website as well on the homepage. Cool. And this is this is what I mean. I, I'm getting emails from Denmark and the Netherlands and like, how do I see your film? And I'm like, please sign up for this list. You will literally be the first person to know <laughs> when it's what, where it where it's playing yeah. at the moment. I'm signing um, us up for the list, Stomping Jim. Yes, yeah, sign, sign up. Parent, parents have said nice things about the film. I'm very happy to report. So, what about your other films? Is is there a way to stream those or are they available somewhere? Um, I know that both films are on Canopy, uh, mm-hmm. which you can get through your public library if yep. it's oh. happening in your region for free. Yeah, we do have um, that service. If you have Canopy, you can watch my my other two films um, at trixiefilms.com. We have a page for each of my films and there are links on each of those pages on how you can watch them. So cool. there are different links to different things cool. but that's like the best that's the best way to do that okay um yeah you. yeah you're welcome well, i think there are links on the home page also from my so-called self just like to get to these films yeah and and there's there's a lot of other really interesting content up there in the last week or so i've been kind of cruising around um Teresa's websites and there's a lot of interesting stuff to look at there. They're well designed too. They're nice to look. Your websites are really nice to look at. That that has yeah, to be the graphic thanks. designer. In Thank you. you. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Art school education. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, yeah. I'm messing with them all the time, but yeah. yeah. Um, they're, but they're, they're good. Can I plug one specific favorite thing? On oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. On, on my so-called selfishlife.com, we have something called child-free comics this was a project I did with Allison Schwed, who's a just fantastic cartoonist. And we collaborated on this. And it's basically a, like a like a web comic uh, about the child-free world. It's like an introduction mm-hmm. <laughs> to being child-free. And a lot of it came from, re- we did this before the film was done, but a lot of it came from the research from the film and some of the characters in the film, in fact. Um, so check that out. It's really cool. I'm really proud of it. and. Uh, it's very enjoyable because cool. Allison is such a great artist. Her cool. stuff's beautiful. We'll check that out. Um, what were some of the challenges mm-hmm. in getting this film made? Um, and I'm going to remind you, I don't know anything about filmmaking. Um, so I imagine there's all of the challenges related to like making a movie, mm-hmm. like any kind of movie, right? Like all the production stuff, um, the funding stuff. Um, did you, did you, in my mind, you, you must have met some kind of resistance from outward forces. Like, don't you make this film because <laughs> you you're going to tip over that, that Apple sacred card. cow over there. Well, I think that um, with this film, actually, um, yes, many grant makers <laughs> resisted giving us money. <laughs> yes, I love the um, way you put that. <laughs> in some in some ways, because I didn't, I don't think they thought anyone would be interested in the yeah. film, which they're very wrong about. Um, so funding is always hard. Any independent filmmaker will tell you that raising the funds for a film is just ridiculously difficult, mm-hmm. and you know, films cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more. Uh, to a million, really. The stuff you see on Netflix are probably $1 million films. And um, 
But for independent filmmakers like me, it, it is really hard to raise money. We had a Kickstarter and then we did get some arts grants. Thank you, Canada Council for the Arts. Um, but it's an ongoing struggle and you want the film to move forward. So you're just paying for stuff because you want it to keep moving forward. But a lot of it, you know, comes out of your own pocket and you hope you'll make that back in right. distribution. Yeah. Um, but um, generally speaking, I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure other filmmakers can relate to this. You can't take on a project like this unless you're absolutely obsessed with the topic. Yeah. Because it's, it's so hard. <laughs> you're, you're just not going to want to, do it unless you're you have like an obsession with telling this story in some way mm. um and that's that's the horrible trap you get into <laughs> you make a film you're stuck making a film but in terms of other resistance I did get resistance from people who I wanted to be in the film mm. um I did you know I, I spoke to a lot of people off the record and um a lot of those people did not want to be in the film because they weren't, and I'm going to quote them, they were not out to their families mm. as child-free. Wow. Interesting. They, they're, they're, there's a lot of pressure. And this is usually sort of a, like a cultural issue. Um, uh, they, weren't, they weren't out <laughs> to their families. Let's say they were married, and they would be telling their families that they're trying. They're really trying, but... You know, mm. nothing's happening. Isn't that tragic? And they're not trying at all, but they can't, they cannot say that they just can't. And they certainly do not want to be in a film yeah. where they're going to talk about it. Yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of reticence among, um, you know, certain groups of people where, where having children is, is, I mean, oh, you just can't say you don't want to have them. Yeah. That's you? so heartbreaking to hear. <laughs> That's just like incredibly heartbreaking to hear um, that somebody has this, you know, important story to tell, right? And could be part of telling this story and helping lift up, you know, the, collectively the voices of, you know, women who've made this choice and that they can't. Do you know what I mean? Like just, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I don't yeah. even know why anyone wants to be in a documentary, honestly. Like, <laughs> you really have to trust your filmmaker to take your story and your life and treat it with respect and authenticity. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know why anybody would do it. How do you I'm very grateful. <laughs> how do you convey that trust to people? Like, how, how do you let them know you can trust me? Well... I think that there are like different ways. There are some people who just really want to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And um, they, the fact that I'm child-free, very vocally child-free makes a big difference because I'm sort of dealing with the same stuff they are in some ways. I'm not just like trying to pick up on a trend, you know, and right, make, right. make a film about it. But I think there are a lot of ways to do it. And I think you have to put in the time to build that trust because by the time you're giving them the release form to sign, um, they should be feeling very comfortable with that. Um, you know, conversations, um, showing them previous work I've done. Um, it's good to be on social media, obviously, mm -hmm. because they can scroll through years of social media right. on the topic. Um, you know, Chanel, uh, Chanel's one of the first people I spoke to when I was thinking of making this film. I took her out for lunch. I didn't really know her, actually. Yeah. I just knew her work. And um, she was gung-ho. Like, she oh, yeah. was ready to go. Yeah. You know, she goes, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Show up on my doorstep and, and ask me what I think. But, um, yeah. yeah, for some other people, it, you know, it just took a little bit of 
of time, um, like any relationship and, yeah, and like yeah. any consent relationship, frankly, um, you have to build the level of trust that will lead to someone's consent yeah. to, to be, uh, to be in the film. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically, I think the process, um, yeah. I'm, I am really grateful to people who did give us that, that trust. Um, yeah. and I also completely understand why some people didn't want to do it. And, uh, I mean, I was disappointed, but I get it. I so get, I so get it. Mm. Yeah. Have you, ha- I learned something from them anyway, but I, you know, I get it. Has anybody, any organizations out there protested the film or anything like that? I actually, um, there have been some articles about yeah. the film that have completely misrepresented what we're doing, of course. <laughs> um, but the, I don't think the film is really known enough yet. It just premiered and it's not available publicly. So I think right. when we get have our public release, which will probably be in 2022, early 2022 sometime, um, that I mean, I think that will like raise its profile considerably. Um, I I do I have for like for the virginity film I did get um, requests for interviews from like these very conservative student newspapers because I was screening at a lot of colleges and there mm-hmm. were people who did, were very upset about a film called How to Lose Your Virginity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> screening on their campus. Um, so so I I did do a bunch of interviews with people who you know, did not approve in any way. And, um, their, their big thing was to get me to admit I was a feminist, which I always feel is really funny. Like there's like folks at home cannot see there is a sign behind me and it's all, all over my websites. And I, you know, but that was a big get for them. Teresa Schechter, filmmaker who claims she is a feminist. So yeah, um, there's that kind of stuff. Now, now it's sort of like, Teresa Schechter filmmaker who is anti-natalist. I don't, I don't want anyone to ever have children, which I, that's not right. What does, what does that mean to you um, to be a feminist? Like, what is that? I'm sure that, Um, I'm sure that word, (laughs) I'm sure that word um, invokes all sorts of images for all different types of people. Like, what does it, what does it mean to you to embrace that? Oh man, that's a, that's a hard question to ask me late at night. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think that I think of what feminism did for me in my own life and Mm. what it, what it meant as I was figuring out who I was and what was important to me and what my place in the world was. And honestly, what my ability to do, do things was, and, and sort of freed me from a lot of ideas that again, are in this soup that we are all boiling in. Um, you know, it, it made me question things. It made me feel free to express things that weren't necessarily popular opinions. Um, it has, it's in all of my films. It, it is a part of my mission. Um, you know, the word feminist, like so many words is, is, can be contentious, but, but for me, it, it just shaped the way I look at the world and the way I see things that I think are not right with the world. And it's just a framework to understand a lot of social systems that frankly hurt people very much. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's what it means to me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so I want to ask you another kind of big picture question, I guess. Um, oh, no. yeah. what, I mean, 
What does it mean to get this film out there and help other women who've made the child-free choice, like be seen and heard? And I know this is an obvious question, but I'm just wondering. Just wondering. It's an obvious question. Wondering if that what it means to you to be able to do this. I feel like any answer I give you is going to sound really grandiose, you know? It's a um, grandiose question. So, you know, it would be appropriate. Um, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm glad that I will play some part in asking people to think about things that they may not have thought about before or validating things they have thought about, but could not say out loud. Um, I think those are both really important things. I'm glad I'm moving the conversation forward. And also I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm able to put something that feels very personal in a much larger context, you know, in the context of the way the world works and all the yeah. different systems of the world and all the different oppressive systems of the world. Um, so I am glad that I can do that in a way that actually people find entertaining and they stay and watch because they're being entertained and um, maybe sort of having some things to think about when they, when they leave. Uh, you know, I guess that's what, yeah. that's what it, I, I, again, like, I feel like a lot of filmmakers who do sort of social issue films will tell you the same thing. You know, they want people to consider things that they may not have been considering before and see the world in ways they may not have been seeing it before. And mm. like, that's just, um, that's, that's also what I think, you know, art does for people as well. Yeah. I love it. So I guess that's my goal. Um, but, you know, we're going to be, we're actually starting to do a lot of private screenings with organizations. Mm. Um, and we are, we're sort of creating an impact plan where we can show the film, have a discussion guide, um, sort of um, give people conversations to think about. Um, and, and as we go along with this, hopefully make some larger changes. I think, um, for example, we talked about sterilization. I think that sterilization should be considered a reproductive right, not just something that like these weird girls keep asking for. Mm -hmm. It is a reproductive right. It should be talked about in the same way as, as having access to contraception, having access to abortion. Mm. It's kind of the same, but it's not thought about that way. And I don't feel like repro rights organizations are out there um, demanding this yet. Yeah. But it would be, it would be nice if that happened, but you know, a lot of things like that. Yeah. So I know you're going to be focused on, um, my so-called selfish life for a while. Um, I'm starting to get a sense of what it takes to, um, bring a film into the world. And I think you'll be working on this for a while. Have you, have you begun, begun to think about what might be next for you in film? Has, has an idea germinated anywhere? Have you? Yeah. Yes. Oh, are you will? Are you willing to share it or? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, my husband teases me like that. I should write a letter to myself and seal it in an envelope to be opened if I feel like making another film. Oh. Um, like, stop! Don't you remember? <laughs> you know <laughs> right. that kind of thing. Um, well, I think it's a it's a kind of a very natural progression. I made a film about virginity and I made a film about motherhood. And I think the end of that trinity is, I think we call it the crone. So I think I have to make a film about menopause. Oh. 
I mean, I thought that was only for when I said fuck. Like, <laughs> no, there are other anything ways to get that any anything you get, anything I get awesome. excited about. I mean, oh, thank I, you. I think that's a great idea. I don't think I've ever seen a you know a a film that attempts to kind of address um, that topic. You know what would be a great topic? What? <laughs> I mean, along these lines, right? Miscarriages. Oh mm. yeah, because more and I had I I've talked about this that I had a miscarriage yeah. and I didn't realize how many women actually have miscarriages because nobody yeah. talks about it and a lot yeah, of right. women have miscarriages. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I think I mean um, you know there there are a lot of things we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, we're just not allowed, and I think miscarriages is definitely one mm-hmm. infertility. Mm-hmm. In general, is something that's still sort of taboo to talk about in some ways. Mm. Um, even though a lot of people are doing, you know, IVF, but it's still not. Yeah, there's still. I don't know. I haven't had this experience, but there is a sense of sort of failure. Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, or like shame so, or guilt, like I did something <laughs> to cause this. Yeah, or yeah. there's something so, wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of, so I don't know, I don't know yeah. exactly, but, um, I, if I'm following the, the, yes, you are, yeah. right. Yeah, I love maiden that mother crone thing. I love that. And that would be next. Nobody else do it. Okay. Cause it's going to take me like five yeah. years. Nobody so. steal the idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Um, cause it's, yeah, I'll wait for your film. I'm not going to say anything. So um, I, I can't guarantee I'm going to make it. I'm trying. Okay. I'm trying to retire. Seriously. Okay. But, um, I, I just wanted to ask you about a couple of your other projects. I mentioned I was um, um, per- perusing you through your websites, and um, could you just tell us a little bit about the V Card Diaries project? That looked super interesting to me. I was like, I need to go check this out. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking about it. So the V-Card Diaries is an interactive story sharing project, which is still live. So anyone can go check it out at uh, vcarddiaries.com. It was a companion to How to Lose Your Virginity. Um, In making the film, uh, people were constantly sending in stories about their own. um, we, We call them sexual debuts and deferrals. So it was sort of all of the spectrum of of. The word, the word virginity has no real definition, by the way. So I'm just going to use that term very loosely. Okay. But um, people, how people were, were um, quote unquote, losing virginity or not. Uh, and uh, so um, I decided that I should put it into a, a website so people could like easily access all these stories. And it's searchable by topic, searchable by gender. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can search for these stories and they're very short. They're like a couple of paragraphs. Um, but I was really fortunate to get into a program that, um, POV, which is a part of PBS, Mm -hmm. uh, POV, uh, was doing something called the POV hackathon and they paired filmmakers with, uh, programmers to build an interactive project over a weekend, um, (laughs) which we did. Um, at least the first iteration of it, which was great. It was so, so awesome actually to be able to work with um, people who knew how to build things like this and make them 
work and look good. And so that's, they grew out of there. Although I, I work with some other folks to get it to where it is now. Um, but yeah, so I, once in a while, I still get people sending in, um, stories, uh, years after almost 10 years after it was launched. So it's kind of cool. Um, but the, I think the idea, like one of the overarching ideas in how to lose your virginity was there's no real definition for virginity. And so you can define it for yourself. Um, you know, saying that it's like penis and vagina sex is a very narrow limiting way to talk about sex. Um, do I get a thing for that? No. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm making Slow so, the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we were really interested in all the different sort of milestones you could have all the different kinds of virginities you could lose. Um, we were giving out on um, these V cards with like little, like those coffee cards, you know, every time you have a coffee, you, um, you punch know, gets like a punch, oh. card. A punch card. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had, we have these punch cards that are like V card, reusable V cards. I think we call them and they had cherries all along the bottom and you had 10 of them. So you could, um, you know, sort of keep track of all of the different like sexual milestones huh. that you had hit, which was free for you to decide what, what those were. Oh, that's such an um, interesting idea. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was cool. It was very popular. It was really popular when I was doing screenings at colleges, like people yeah. were really into it. We yeah. just give them, you know, give them away. Um, but the V card diaries also celebrates that it celebrates the many ways people have sort of decided that they have become sexual in some yeah. way. Um, obviously there are stories from, from, um, people who are queer, who are not having penis and vagina sex. Um, so, but a lot of different things and, and people who, who have not really had any sexual experience also. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go check that out. I was like, I have to look at that. I'm going to go spend some time reading. I might submit. Yeah. I might submit a story. Oh, I can imagine what story you're gonna. Submit. You could totally, and and I and I just want to say, like, I'm really proud of that project, and it ended up being yeah. um, the Kinsey Institute has an art show every year. Like they used to anyway, and it was it was in the at the Kinsey Institute. As oh wow! Part of the show, and it was the first interactive piece that they had ever included in an exhibit. That's so. awesome. I'm. <laughs> there you go. That's so amazing. That was, yeah, that was really cool. And like being at the Kinsey Institute and getting to look at all their like archives and things, I was just like geeking out the whole time. That's cool. So yeah. um, that was fun. Uh, so the last question, I think, directly about you and what you do, I wanted to ask. Um, I was so delighted to see that you're a, a sibling podcaster and um, <laughs> you, do, you do a show called um, Down, Downton Gabby. It's a podcast about the TV show Downton Abbey and pop culture created by and about women. Um, can you talk to us just a little bit more about your, uh, your the podcast you co-host? Yeah. So the podcast is no longer active, although it's very easy to find. Okay. So all of our years of episodes are there. Uh, we started, so it's me, um, Shannon Bowen and Brandy Sperry. And we met on Twitter hmm. because we were all like, freakishly excited about the first season of Downton Abbey. Yeah. And we were like talking, I didn't know them at all. They live on the West coast. Um, 
And so at some point after so many conversations about whatever was happening that week on Downton Abbey, uh, Shannon said, let's do a podcast. So this is 2011, oh, I wow. guess, when oh, like wow. back in the old days the of old podcasting. Days. You, were, you, <laughs> the were a, days. you were a trailblazer. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it at the time, yeah. but yeah, you know, we, so we started doing a podcast, which by the way, the first couple of years, the audio is so terrible. I just apologize in advance. <laughs> I beg you to just power through it because it's, it's good. So yeah, so we would talk about every episode as it aired. Um, so, you know, this was a, this was a, a seasonal podcast, let's say. So, so after every episode aired, the three of us would get together and talk about it. And and we come from interesting disciplines. So we could bring like different sort of viewpoints about it um, uh, from a screenwriting point of view. Or, and I was working on how to lose your virginity at the time. So I had a lot to say about the sort of sexual dynamics on that show. And mm-hmm. uh, especially when Lady Mary buys a diaphragm. Yeah. So there was a lot to discuss about, <laughs> about you know, that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then in the sort of off season, we would do shows about other, we would like other media by and about women, um, TV hmm. shows, and cool. films and things. Um, so yeah, it all exists on the trixiefilms.com website, actually. Oh, cool. Um, it was great. It was really, really great. After Downton Abbey ended, we did do a few uh, seasons uh, on other similar topics. And then we decided that it had kind of run its course for us. We reunited when the Downton Abbey movie came out. Oh, that's awesome. To do a special podcast about the movie. And um, I don't know if we're going to, there's another Downton Abbey movie coming. I'm going to try and convince Shannon and Brandy to, to reunite again. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. I bet your fans will go crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there was a podcast I used to love um, right around like 2013, it ran for a few years called the Bigfoot show. Don't ask. It's about Sasquatch. <laughs> Don't ask. Yeah. But it's I very just self-explanatory. I love these three, um, people who did this podcast and then like they stopped doing it for a while and then like a year would go by and they would put out an episode and I would lose my shit. Like when I saw <laughs> that episode, I was like, oh my God, they recorded an episode and it would just be like a gift dropped down from the heavens You're for so me funny. anyways so i'm sure yeah. people will love that if you are able to get it together I, i'd love to do it and we we do occasionally hear from people who are re-watching the series yeah. along with the podcast which is also really nice um to hear but we described it as um funny feminist and foul-mouthed so yeah i love it yeah that idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. We well, swore a lot. Some people were not happy with the language. We got comments about the <laughs> that, language, but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they can yeah. you know, go fuck themselves. Yeah. Right? Those, so <laughs> all those, um, those, those proper people drinking their tea and listening to the podcast. Um, yeah. Therese, I wanted to ask you before we will transition into our last two questions. Um, was there anything else related to, um, my so-called selfish life your your film that's out there right now um anything else you wanted to talk to us about or any other anything else related to your other projects i'm sure i'm gonna think of something in an hour and go why didn't i talk about that um no i just uh it's a word of mouth film i i really would love people to check it out i i really do think it's the film you don't know that you need until you watch it and realize how much you actually need it um and then you can tell your friends and family about it um so 
please get on our list and uh, we will let you know as soon as you can see it. Oh, there is one other thing. Um, I don't know when this is running, but we're doing a very special event in early December. Is that? I think I have it written here. Um, It's on the front page. um, So this is more towards the end of December. Okay. Yeah. So let me tell you about this great event we had in early December. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we, we wanted to, um, sort of, uh, appease our, our hungry fans. And, um, so in the past we did, a an event with showing a couple clips from the film and doing a little panel, doing a virtual yeah, event. Ooh. Uh, it was really fun. And, and it was basically how to survive the holidays as a child-free person between Thanksgiving and the December holidays. Um, and, uh, we're going to be sort of framing things that way and doing some advice so people in the audience can cool. put in uh, their Q and A's and things. But sorry, you yeah. missed it. But I, maybe we'll do another one. Yeah, yeah I love that. Um, that is that is awesome. Um, and that's just you know in that time of year, people may really be feeling those social pressures. Yeah, for right? sure. There's and, a lot of holiday gatherings oh, yeah. of family, yeah. and it could probably really you know use that kind of that support and solidarity from the community. So I, I we, love that. We want, we want to give that support and also like laugh a lot yeah. about it, about Aunt Joyce and why she always <laughs> asks uh, <laughs> what's happening with the babies. So, yeah. yeah. Just a, a million people popped into my head, like generic Aunt Joyce's. So <laughs> I, saw them, Aunt I saw them come through like flashcards. Oh my God. All the Aunt Joyce's in my life. Okay. Um, Therese, um, what do you like to do for fun? So you're not making films, you're not graphic designing. Is it, what, what do you like to do just for yourself? Well, this is, you know, very kind of basic, but I like baking a lot. Ooh. I really like baking. Um, I love having a leisurely day to bake, mm. like not having to fit it into some schedule, but just being able to take my time and do something super complicated and like really enjoy it. I love being at the beach. Again, mm. it sounds like a, like a, some kind of dating uh, thing. No, <laughs> I do really no. like going to the beach. I love the beach. It's your I'm favorite a Jersey place. girl. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the Rockaways. My husband yeah. and I go to the Rockaways. Nice. Um, and um, what else do I like to do? I very much enjoy musical theater. <laughs> And I enjoy singing musical theater, even though I don't have much of a voice. But again, this is something that my husband and I bonded over when we first met. So musical theater. Is um, um, Hamilton musical theater? I like that. (laughs) That's like the only thing you like. No, you took me to that thing with those people. Uh, Yes, that was good. There's a lot of people dancing around in very suggestive ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're we're pretty old school. Like my personally, like my favorite musicals are like 50s to 70s, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that sort of you would call it. A- oh, I was just gonna say that. Remember, we went oh to see God. Oklahoma oh in college. Oh my God! We saw Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's my husband. Do you want to join us? <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma's. I've been yeah. singing Oklahoma since I was a, a youngster. Mm. Um, so we and we do these show tune parties. A lot yeah. pre-pandemic, we were oh, doing show tune parties fun. where we got all our friends together and and would sing around the piano. Oh, that's so super fun. It, that sounds like a really blast. Fun. Yeah, yeah, I, I oh, like really fun. Lame awesome. and cats and yeah. Evita is one of my favorites. 
Yeah. And Peter Pan. You like that one too? Oh my gosh, with um oh. uh who played Wendy? It was like uh, Mary Martin or something playing oh, Peter Pan. Oh, she played Peter Pan. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like one of my favorite soundtracks wow. from when I was a kid. We'll have to watch it sometime. I don't know that you can watch it, oh. but Okay. I had it on cassette. You know, I bet you could find it somewhere. Yeah, maybe. I bet you could. Yeah. yeah. Um, All right. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'll let you go. Last last question. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. If you listen to the Chanel podcast, you might know this one's coming. This question. Um, oh, we a- we mm-hmm. ask this of everyone. So, um, okay. what have can, you? I just want to ask. Can you yeah. hear the sirens outside the window and the no. piano playing in the apartment? Below no, me? we're good. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Um, okay. um, Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, what have you? What have you experienced that you can't explain? You could take this question anyway. Wow. <laughs> I don't remember you asking Chanel that question. We might not have I... because we had because we've had Chanel on multiple times. Oh. So we might have skipped. Did we it let with her. did we let her off the hook? It might have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. We do usually ask this question. I yeah. promise. Yeah. This wasn't um, just a you question. <laughs> okay. This is this is uh with with apologies to my husband. I'm going to say that one of the things that I can't explain is how happy I am just sitting next to him holding his hand. Oh <laughs> we're both like racing for the button. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that's really, so I can't I can't explain it yeah. um in any way except that it just makes me incredibly happy. Oh, that's super sweet. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, Therese Schechter, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, my, I got my skin tingled several times. Several? That's a good sign. Ooh, that's yep. Great. That's a, always a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just because you're sitting next to me. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Sit. Say yes. Yes, say yes. yes. Yesterday right. was our twentieth wedding anniversary. That's true. Oh wow! Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Twenty-five years together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and here we are. Yeah. Still, still hanging out together. That's right. That's Chatting right. it up. That's um, right. That's right. Thank yep. you, Therese. Um, Therese, thank you. <laughs> really, um, I'm so I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation uh, with you and continue the conversation that we. You know, had started with Chanel, kind of about um, women and the child-free choice, and you know, your film, My So-Called Selfish Life, which was kind, which is kind of a a fulcrum for both of these conversations. So, um, yeah, yeah, thank you um, so much. And people listening to this, I said it before. um, I demand. No, I'm not asking. I demand that you go check out um, Teresa's websites. All right. There's trixiefilms.com. There's myselfishlife.com. There's the Facebook page. There's an Instagram profile. There's lots of stuff out there's there. There's a Twitter. There's even a Vimeo. You cannot say you can't find it. Right. And because I'm going to put the links in the show notes. There you go. So you can't say you can't find it. That's right. All right. So go That's check right. this stuff out. Seriously. Um, and there's and we a lot have a great trailer on the website. Go watch the trailer. It's good. Yes. Yep. Watch the trailer. Um, check out some of these other projects we talked about. There's a lot here. Um, and uh, Therese, thank you for tackling these subjects and bringing them to mm-hmm. us. You know, I, I really value um, people like you in society who challenge us to really um, think about things that are important. So 
thank you so much. Um, thank you. This was really delightful. I really enjoyed talking oh, to you both. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. All right. That's um, really great. Yeah. Thanks for coming. And all right. So listeners, I'm just going to finish up yeah. um, by saying um, if you're enjoying the podcast, yeah. subscribe, download our episodes. Share we like that. Friend. Share with a friend. That's Share important friend. too. Right. Word of mouth. Yes. Um, and uh, finally, if you feel compelled, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Okay. You can do it. All right. All right. So this is the point where we just go around and we say goodbye, right, Stomping Jen? Uh, yeah, I think we have reached that point. Okay. Um, Therese, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye. I feel like I should be singing Sound of Music right now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'm just going to say goodbye, and thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Um, Stomping Jen, I'm going to give you the final goodbye. It's, well, now Therese has that what? song in my head from, isn't it like, goodbye, if we doesn't, I don't know the words. Right, I'm going to say goodbye, then so you're going to go out on that. Up. Goodbye. There you go. Bye now. I'm conducting. Go ahead. <laughs> I Do don't it. know the words. Goodbye. 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 Right. Goodbye. 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 This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road.